Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and their experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, check out practical-leadership.academy. Beth Ayers, thank you very much for joining me today. Can I start with the, the simplest of the simple and say, would you mind sharing who are you? What's your background? What's important? How did you first become a people leader? Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me today. Really excited to join. Um, I am originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico, which you might be able to hear in my accent. Came over to the UK straight after university in about 2000. So despite my background, I've spent my entire working career in the UK and the entire time in technology or originally new media, which like completely dates me because like most people I meet have never even heard of new media <laughs> and switched over from the media side to the tech side pretty early in my career and very consciously because if you were in tech, you earn more money than if you were in media and have grown my career on tech ever since. I've been working in cloud since 2010. And when did I first become a people leader would have been, I think my first clear leadership opportunity was in seventh grade running the archaeology dig in middle school when I was nominated and elected and was so surprised that the whole group chose me. And I think from that point on, I've like, I've never been active in politics, but I do tend to be the person others choose to lead in different situations. So you're, you're the chosen one. I am the chosen leader. <laughs> and I've always been a bit surprised by that. But I guess after years of being a leader, you you can begin to understand why people choose you. Um, and I think for me, it's around clarity of vision. Right? People like to know what they're looking, what they want to achieve, where they're going and what that looks like. Um, and I'm quite good at seeing that future state and helping get people there. So clarity of thought. And clarity of vision. Clarity of vision. Yeah. And your ability to articulate that in a way that people can get behind. Yeah. And I think that's what I do quite naturally. Uh, and that's what people look for in a leader, or at least look for in me as a leader. And what sort of advice would you then give if you were speaking to somebody who was going to take on this mantle for the first time? It's always really hard to go between advice and like specific tactical tips of what you can do. And what's the most important part, I think, of being a leader, which is finding your authentic voice and your authentic style. And so you have to balance following the rules and figuring out who you are. And actually, I've been doing a lot of work with DE&I internally at peak at the moment. And it's so hard to deal with what's the line between conforming and losing your voice and versus getting on with others because we all have to learn how to get on with others and socialize and still be authentic. And mm. within leadership, there's even more of that challenge. So interact and make connections and make relationships with people that's authentic to who you are, and then take some top tips along the way uh, <laughs> that help you be the leader you want to be rather than the leader you think you should be, or maybe the leader that you are. That's very abstract. I'm not sure if that helps at all. 
It's not. It's. I think it's more concrete than you give yourself credit for because I think it comes down to. It speaks to me in terms of uh, integrity. It's one of the one of the things I value highly is integrity, and it's doing what you say you're going to do. It's never lying, and not even to yourself. And that yeah, authenticity. That's, the <laughs> you know, that's the hardest one. It's yeah. the authenticity of your own approach to things and your own your own voice, as you said, meets your integrity quite neatly. How then? Okay, so that's the underpinning you. That's what's yeah. important to you. How does one go and do that? Through a lot of practice, a lot of self-reflection, um, and also just and a lot of confidence. Like it's much easier, particularly as a new leader, to come and follow the rules and read all of the guidelines and be a bit tricky, I guess, in a way. Like you, you know, you look at these big charismatic raw raw go-getting leaders and think okay like how am I going to do that and some people that is who they are and that's completely authentic and it lands well for the introverts around uh, which I am definitely one of um, that just doesn't feel real at all and so it's around having the confidence to be yourself and lead a huge amount of self-reflection as I started the conversation with of like why is it that people choose me to be a leader and what is it that I can bring to the table and so it's thinking about those giving yourself time to reflect asking people why you're the leader in the room why they've chosen you and keep building on those strengths and keep finding what's real you'll know when it's not because you won't feel good you know, if you have to really G yourself up to go into a room or leave feeling like that wasn't me speaking, then reflect on it and figure out how you can show up as yourself the next time. Is there a mistake in your illustrious career that uh, stands out for you as being one that was, if not pivotal, at least a, a good teachable moment for self-reflection? Yeah, I actually, so it was really interesting when I was thinking about this and about like my very first time of leadership in middle school and my most recent mistake as a leader, because there's definitely recency bias. So it's always struggles to think of all of the ones in between that were important. Mm -hmm. I realized that I made the same mistake twice and there, and I'm, I make it over and over again. So this is like the mistake I make all the time and clearly cannot learn from. <laughs> Which is basically with Myers-Briggs, I don't necessarily believe in how all four come together and it's been completely debunked, but I find it really helpful to understand um, some of the relationships within introvert, extrovert, big picture, small picture, worrying about people's feelings or the facts. And then the one for me that really stands out is it, it's judging versus perceiving, perceiving, I think, yeah. But it's just such weird words. But basically, the judging one is people who feel much better making a decision and much better hitting a deadline and relaxing when everything is done. And people who are perceiving love, optionality, making a decision at the last possible moment uh, and feel horrible being tied down. I am highly, highly, highly preference J. Like I'm a nearly 100% J. There is no P in me at all. And so what ends up happening is I create a deadline, I feel bound to that deadline, and I move heaven and earth to hit it. And that can be great if it's a real deadline, and it can be pretty detrimental if it's not, and can really hurt the team. 
to when I was in middle school. And the, I mean, this is something I have not reflected on for years, but again, immediately came up and I'm just wishing I had learned the lesson better then was when we were all presenting back our archaeology society thing, the other group had overrun, my group was next, and then there was lunch, and I was told to make it so we would hit lunch. And so I zoomed people through, I didn't let them have the opportunity to speak about their piece as much as they could have, I completely condensed everything and hit the deadline and we got to lunch on time. But it was disempowering for the team. They didn't get to shine. We'd been working on this for six weeks. They came up to me really upset and sad and like, why did you do this? And I ended what had been an amazing situation really on a low. And then that was it. And there was no opportunity to learn from that at that time. Fast forward however many years, 35 years possibly, uh, to doing this again. And we ran a massive, or I ran or led a massive pricing program, nearly six months, really wanted to hit the deadline, rolling it out, rolled it out poorly, caused huge amounts of stress throughout the sales team, disempowered the managers because I was hitting deadlines, didn't have time to do the right amount of training. It was awful didn't entirely 100% run it out, but the lead up was so awful that we had to pull it, postpone it by about six weeks, Um, caused like a massive trigger in me. I pretty much cried for a week anytime I I thought about the failure that it was. Um, Had to take a step back and reflect, learned one, deadlines aren't always deadlines. You know, is this real? Is it not? It was my own self-imposed deadline. To as we get bigger, like we have more than doubled in size year on year, and you have to readjust to your thinking that way, how important it is to empower the next level of management or the next few levels of management so that you basically spread the load and ensure that other people can take it on. It's not all on me. And to slow down after a massive project will actually leave the project on a high instead of a low. And I just had not until today realized that I am not learning that lesson. Maybe I will learn it this time. We'll see. Well, if you think then, what would you do differently? Let's, if you reflect, go do the easy one. Go back to the middle school example of your archaeology presentation. You're there in front of your 25 classmates, the five of you or whatever, standing up in front. You're all wearing nice little cute pennies because you're tiny. <laughs> how would you do it differently? You know, your teachers at the back doing, you know, winding up the clock thing saying, come on, it's lunchtime. Yeah. What would you do there? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're coaching me live. But, you know, it's perfect opportunity. <laughs> I'm sorry, I apologize. I can't help myself. <laughs> um, so just to set the scene a bit, it was it was our whole class. So there's like 125 kids. And so the, I was oh. leading a team of about 15 or so, I'd say. Okay. Um just to kind of give a perspective. So I I had thought a lot about it at the time. Like there was two things. One is we don't have enough time. Can we push it till after lunch and talked and and actually thought about like telling the teacher, let's do it later or let's split it in half, which as a leader, that's what you should be doing is advocating for your team. I'll give myself a break at being an 11 year old to not think about advocating for the team the way I maybe should have. But As an adult, that's what I would have done. And then the feedback from my teammates was 
everybody else overran. Why couldn't we? Like, it's fine. We could be late for lunch. And so just having taken a step back, released a certain level of responsibility, know that we I got the team to this point and let them shine how, for however long that took. And again, taking the responsibility from myself and spreading it across everybody would have, one, been empowering, and two, we might have been a bit late for lunch, but everybody would have had their moment. It's actually live coaching with you. I realize how much responsibility I take that I don't need to. That's probably so I think it's around hitting time deadlines, which I think it is. But secondly, it's around letting go, trusting in other people, not necessarily just to do a good job, but to take responsibility for a good outcome themselves. Thank you, Paul. I feel like this has been awesome. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, I I was going to ask you, I mean, you don't get to be where you are in your career. I mean, you're the chief operating officer. You were the chief revenue officer of a significantly fast-growing company without being able to delegate and trust people. This is true. But I think there's always another layer. You, you, you think you're delegating and trusting, and then you realize that actually you could delegate and trust even a little bit more. I think you don't end up becoming senior without a certain amount of drive and controlling behaviors. I, I'm constantly trying to let go of my controlling behaviors, but it's there. <laughs> my, my best uh, manager of our wonderful French chap called Jacques, he said, when you're delegating, you have to delegate it to the point of discomfort. So you're actually thinking, oh, gosh, are they going to be able to do it? And if you're not there, you're not doing it enough. Mm-hmm. Because that's the growth point. That's the uncomfortable bit. That's the learning point for you and for them. For them, yeah. Mm -hmm. What are you working on at present? So as I was saying, I've just become the uh, lead of our steering committee for DE&I. And it's becoming much more all-consuming than I expected. Um, Not necessarily time all-consuming, but emotionally consuming. Well, part of Peak's mission statement Peak's mission statement is basically do great things with the data and build a company everyone loves being part of. And you can have that intent and truly believe it and have senior management and founders and leaders want that. And then you can also have the reality of living in the society that we live in. And um, we're all part of, of our society And there are huge amounts of unconscious bias and there are ways of perceiving the world that are really hard to change. And coming in where we want to do better and we want to be better. And that means we're going to have to have uncomfortable conversations. We're going to have to sit in the gray. We're going to have to know that you can't change things quickly. And work through how does everybody feel included and it's going to be a big challenge and I like I signed up for it knowing it's going to be a big challenge (laughs) and now I'm starting to feel what that's going to be and from our earlier conversation around spreading the load I'm already starting to think about creating systems where these discussions can happen where it's not me in the room every time 
I don't know again if that makes enough sense. Or... I, it does. I think everybody I've spoken to who really begins to consider DEI as a core part of the mission of the organization. And I don't mean just papered on or laminated value based, but actually, I'm a great believer in diversity of thought, which is really the only diversity that matters rather than diversity of demographic, because the container we come in is various. And this diversity of thought is how do you get there? That's very, very hard. It's profound work. It is. The diversity is almost the easiest part. It's creating the environment where people feel included and therefore can bring their full selves to work and therefore can bring their creativity and diversity of thought into the room. That's the hard part. And that goes back to the earlier part of if we all came with our 100% full selves and what we wanted every day, that wouldn't work because we're we have to interact with each other and we need to be socialized humans like and that's why middle school or early secondary school is so difficult because that's when you're learning how not to be a dick um yeah. and everybody around you is telling you <laughs> what are you reading just now what's in your bedside table i'm not sure what i'll pick up next i actually i do know i'm going to pick up and i can't remember the name of it it's for de and i it's um, about inclusion and centering around Black women to begin with, like as where you center and then working from there. It's about stories. And I'm a really big believer on using stories to change behaviors and to explain what's going on. So it's Black women's stories of struggles with inclusion in the workplace and what we can do to make a more inclusive environment. So that's my next workbook that I'll be picking up. Actually, I listened to um, Amp It Up. I, I listened to about two quarters of it and then thought, this isn't the leadership for me at the moment. <laughs> this isn't where I'm at. Do you know what I think? I mean, I've been talking to a lot of people about this idea of leadership. I'm trying to pull something together around the concepts of deliberate practice. It's the focus on the essence or the things that you need to be able to do and to do well, because then if you focus on the essence, you can improve the essence. You bring yourself, and then there's the stuff that everybody expects you to be able to do well. And it starts off with people thinking that, oh, I need to be Steve Jobs. I need to be Churchillian or whatever it is. And yes, if you can be, as you said, Beth, if you can be, that's your natural inspirational self. If that's you, great. But if it's not, then not so great. But the one thing you do need around inspiration is you need to be inspired yourself in order to do better. You have to go to, you've got to have a reason. You've got to be surrounded by either with a great purpose or a great team that you need to deliver more for. So you need that inspiration. You don't necessarily need to bring it. That's great. That, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that is definitely, um, and if we loop back to the beginning, like I can have a very clear vision for the future and be very inspired by that, of that vision of the better world that I can see and bring the energies for us all to achieve that better world. And then you bring your logic or you bring your process or you bring whatever it is you bring, you bring your bit to convey that yeah. in your way. That's great. Thank you, Paul. What That's would nice. you like to thank your younger self for doing? Apart from delivering an okay archaeology presentation, <laughs> what would you like to thank your younger self for doing? To have survived. <laughs> Mm -hmm. to be here um so that's part of it a lot of grit a lot of determination and then my somewhat younger self as in like 10 years younger self is to have been brave enough to start therapy mm -hmm. and to go on that journey of self 
work and actualization and to be a whole lot happier now and a whole lot more confident now than I was 10 years ago. And then lastly, how can people find you? LinkedIn is the easiest one. I'm somewhat active on LinkedIn uh, and, but you know, you have a nice little chat thing. So if you get inspired by something here and you want to have a chat, that's great. That's the best one. And then we can go from there. Beth Ayers, thank you very much indeed from seventh grade archaeology presentations at middle school, all the way through to chief operating officer at peak.ai and burgeoning DEI lead. Thank you so very much indeed for joining me today. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework, subscribe and share this with a friend or colleague. Please leave your five-star review and any comments you have because that really helps me to improve every day and it helps people to discover me online. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, you should check out practical-leadership.academy.